All right. Hey, again, welcome. I, I have a question. Uh-oh. We haven't even got started yet. <laughs> welcome to the Chunk Club. Uh, I want to know who you're calling Chunk. <laughs> All right. Do you hey, think the presence hey, of a hey, lot hey. of people means you I, can uh, say whatever you want and you're protected? <laughs> That's right. my question. This is going downhill immediately <laughs> following the video. That's a bad sign. Uh, no, uh, hey, this is uh, going to be really fun, apparently. Uh, and <laughs> this is our uh, opportunity to kind of answer questions live. And so welcome to what we're calling You Asked For It Live. Uh, and I also want to welcome our campus out of Midlothian uh, as they are joining us this morning for the same thing. And we are actually getting questions from them as well this morning. And so we're going to try to answer some of those. And as a matter of fact, uh, I think we'll get to one of theirs in just a second. We've been getting some questions already this morning. Actually, uh, we actually do have a question that came in this morning, and that is, uh, if God created everything, who created God? So um, there's your question. First question right off the bat. Uh, Anyone? We would say that God always was, that he is the, the uncaused cause, the unmade maker. Um, he's referred throughout the Bible as being an eternal being. Um, that in the beginning there was God is how John answers that question in John 1. Um, and then he's hitting on the, the idea from Genesis 1 that starts with the words, in the beginning, God. Uh, there's no explanation for how he came to be. Uh, there's no explanation for, you know, there's no attempt to explain how God came to be. The assumption is that God was, and then everything that came to be came from God. Uh, so we say that God never was made, that God always was. Uh, did y'all hear he said uncaused cause? If somebody asks who created God, just say he's the uncaused cause. That'll stump them. You'll, you'll get to leave the conversation at that, at that point. Psalm, Psalm 90, verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. He, he's, he's always God. And I think a lot of you are familiar with the story in Exodus 3, Exodus the burning 3, yeah. bush. And Jesus reveals his name, I am and, and that name means I am the self-existing one, uh, that one of his attributes is his self-existence. That, that name actually is saying I'm, I'm the uncaused cause. So those are some passages to remember. And then John 9, Jesus mm-hmm. grabs that name and says, even before Abraham was, I am. And he's identifying himself as being part of that eternal Godhead, um, walking, on the, walking on the water. He says, you know, yep. it's me. But he says it in a way that says, I am, it's me. Um, and so Jesus kind of commandeers that term and says, you know, point, uses that to point to who he is as part of the eternal Godhead also. If I can. That was a good question, and I think we delivered a good answer. Uh, there folks, it is. thanks Let's for being go. here today. And <laughs> now to... Can we call it a wrap? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, no. Uh, along those same lines, uh, actually, Jeff from Midlothian uh, sent us in a question uh, about sort of a similar uh, similar topic, but really wanting to know, we, we know and we say that Jesus has always existed, uh, but he was born as a man. So what was Jesus prior to being born as a man? Well, John 1.1 1, 1 says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, was, was God. Well, huh, let me get it straight here. <laughs> in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And later, in verse 14, it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the only begotten of God. And so Jesus has always been, he's the, existed as God. I think if you even look in Hebrews chapter 1, it says that God has spoke to us through various ways. And even in the beginning, and he created the world through, or the creative uh, agent of God was the Son. And he was even the creator of the world. So Jesus, the, the, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has always existed together. 
He seems to be, when you say probably the, from the, our language, our vocabulary, the most visible part of God. Yes. Uh, there's a, a lot of commentators in the Old Testament that whenever you see that phrase, the angel of the Lord, you know, it's always the angel of the Lord that's appearing to people in the Old Testament. And, uh, and many commentators do take him to be uh, the second person of the Trinity, the person of Jesus Christ. Because while you and I think of an, an angel, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament often is displayed having divine attributes mm-hmm. and, and, and is referred to as God. Mm-hmm. So I, I think even prior, as you said, right. 114, to putting on flesh as we know him in, in the New Testament, he was appearing uh, and, and Jacob, looked like a man. Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord. Yes, that's uh, he a He also one. had uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who, the fourth who, the, man in the, the fire. The fourth man in the fire. Was, who was appeared the, to him as a man. Right. Yeah. That's probably, one of the most, uh, probably one of the most com- complicated <laughs> of the, those passages, Genesis 18, when uh, it starts off by saying, it doesn't say the angel of the Lord or you know, anything like that. It just says, and the Lord appeared to him. And this is, him is Abraham. He shows up at his tent flap with a couple of angels, and he's getting ready to go... Uh, deal with Sodom and Gomorrah, but it just says, and even in the Hebrew, it just says the Lord. Um, and so in that particular case, there's this question of, well, is that, is that the Father showing up, or is that, is that Jesus, and, or not Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the, a pre-incarnate Christ? And I think one of the places where we uh, have trouble is um, we conflate a lot of the terms that we use for the second person of the Trinity, that he was the, the, uh, the eternal word, the second person of the Trinity, that he existed in the very form of God, um, but that he became a man, Jesus, that he added to his divinity, humanity, and that that human was the Christ. But all those terms don't mean the same thing. And so when we say the second person of the Trinity, the eternal word of God existed, from eternity past, that, that's not the same as saying that Jesus, the, the human being that was born to Mary, existed in eternity past. Now, th- those, two, those two persons, the divine uh, word of God and the, the human Jesus Christ are, eternal, are, are inseparably linked, but that's not to say that uh, saying the eternal word of God existing in eternity past is the same as the human being that was born to Mary existing in eternity past, if that makes sense. Can you translate that for me? I don't have a clue what he said. Wow. Uh, yes, it does make Genesis sense. Genesis chapter 1 says, Philippians 2, existing in the very form of God. Go read it. You're good, man. Norm. Wow. Sorry. Can you tell That's what I do. I'm here right for now? the comic relief. That's what I do. Yeah. So, Genesis uh, chapter 1 says, let us create man in our own image. I mean, there's obviously a, a reference there. I think it's important for us to look at. Um, Now, I will say this. I didn't say this at the top, uh, but we have gotten a lot of questions about heaven and a lot of questions about the afterlife, and uh, we actually aren't going to probably approach a lot of those because Randy's actually getting ready in just a few weeks to uh, preach on heaven, and we're going to be doing a sermon series on heaven. And actually, next week, we are going to address near-death experiences which is something that, that's sort of current and a lot of people are talking about. And so he's going to address that, and then we're going to talk about heaven uh, in his sermon series later on this year. But I did want to pitch this question out, because I, I I'm sure you may address this in your sermon series, but I thought it was a good one for us. Um, and that is, is there a purgatory? That was a question that we got. And so uh, I pitched that one to the panel. Is there a purgatory? No. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, <laughs> Let, let, let me answer that. And, and I would imagine, by the way, we have some folks in here with a, with a Catholic background. I went to an all-boys Catholic high school. My wife grew up Catholic. My mom grew up Catholic. 
Um, in, in Southern Baptist life, we, we look for, and I hope you hear a lot of us today in all of these questions saying, in the Bible, Psalm 90, Genesis 1, Isaiah, John, uh, we really try to answer every question and understand everything from what does God's Word say. Now, in the Catholic faith, they have two sources of authority. They, they have Scripture, and then they have church teaching. And church teaching can reveal things that are nowhere found in Scripture. And so purgatory is not an issue of, well, how, how do you take this verse? Well, this group over here takes it. There, there's nothing like a purgatory found in Scripture. Uh, that is what Catholicism teaches from their other source of authority, the church. The, the church reveals this idea of a, a holding pattern where you kind of work out the sins you didn't get worked out and, and kind of, unfortunately, work your way into heaven, which is another doctrine that I don't think is quite accurate. But, but they, things like a purgatory, it's nowhere found in Scripture. Nowhere does God in his word reveal that idea. And since I don't look to another body for my source of authority, I can say somewhat definitively, and I hope not arrogantly, no, there's, there's no purgatory. Would you all add anything to that? I concur. No, sure. <laughs> okay. Uh, along the lines of we go to the Bible and, uh, and, and get our truth from there, we have a question uh, from someone who was, was discussing the Bible and some other religious books um, and talking about how the, the Bible is the oldest book in the world, the only book inspired by God, and all other religious books were written by men. And they were asked by this person, how do you know that? And they're wondering, is there a better answer than just, well, because it says so? Because. <laughs> because? What do we say to someone who is saying, well, how do you know it's inspired by God? How do you know that, that he wrote this and not just it was created by man? I would start with the resurrection. And I think, it's, I think it seems counterintuitive to many of us to start somewhere other than uh, the Bible, to affirm the Bible. But a lot of what we believe, we believe because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If a man raises from the dead, you, you listen to him a little bit differently than if he doesn't. <laughs> That's um, a good word. And so, so with that, one of the things that Jesus affirmed was the writings of the Old Testament. He affirmed over and over again that I didn't come to do away with the law. I didn't come away to do with, uh, with shorthand the Old Testament, with, with what was revealed through the prophets in the Old Testament. I came to fulfill those things and affirm those things, uh, to fulfill the promises that were made there. And then... He raises from the dead. And so you, you believe what he says, you know, and then the Old Testament affirms and, and it calls all these shots. You did a, a sermon a little while ago talking about Larry Bird calling this crazy basketball play and then executing. That's what the, the Old Testament does. It looks forward to, in many ways, the fulfillment that Christ brings. And so there's this, this synergy that happens between the, the revelation of the Old Testament in the life, work, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. And so we have that being affirmed. And then through the New Testament, you have, with, uh, with any covenant, you expect covenant documents. You know, Moses came off of the mountain, God revealed himself, and there was documentation that came with that. In the same way, there would have been this expectation that with this new covenant in Christ's blood, there would have been covenant documentation. And Throughout the New Testament, you have this understanding of Second Corinthians, not Second Corinthians, Second Timothy three sixteen is one of those big verses uh, where it says that all all scriptures breathed out by God is profitable for a variety of uses. Um, but then throughout the New Testament, you also have different authors referring to other authors as being scripture. You have Peter in Second Peter three 
talking about Paul's writings and equating them with Scripture. You have uh, in Second or in First uh, Timothy uh, the the words of Jesus, I believe, in Luke being equated with Old Testament Scripture. And so there's this uh, self awareness in the New Testament that this new covenant documentation, this new scripture is kind of being unfolded among them. And then the early church obviously played a, a part in recognizing that. Was it written by an apostle? Was it written early? You know, not, you know, we only have four gospels, but there's all these gospels written. Well, those were written a long time afterwards. These were written by eyewitnesses who wrote in the first century and uh, those sorts of things. So there's a few different moving pieces, but for us, the linchpin is a guy raised from the dead, and so we listened to him in a very special way, and he affirmed uh, the Bible. Sorry to run away with no, that. I would add to that, you know, you kind of, you alluded to it. The, the truth of the gospel is so intricately woven throughout the scripture and, and it's consistent and it doesn't contradict itself. It does things. And so we've, we've seen that uh, the scripture is a trustworthy document as, as that goes too. And you look at thousands of years, there's never been a book, uh, a writing that has been more tried and more tested and, and looked at critically than, than the scripture, and yet it still stands true as, as, as God's revelation of himself to us. So. Uh, we just what re- they said. <laughs> yes. Uh, we just received a question uh, that, that someone in our audience thinks I deserve a pay raise. So. <laughs> yeah. That's a question. First answer off, that, thank right. you. Did, that, answer did that. that come from where? The answer also? is yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, uh, Bob, Bob, Bob raised Oh, uh, right over there. Okay, yeah. okay, we got it. Uh, that's good. Uh, we uh, also got this question, and I'll kind of pitch this to Ronnie first, and then kind of the whole panel can weigh in a little bit, because I think you and I have had conversations like this, but it seems the more I grow in my Christian walk, the more evil and darkness I see in the world. And, and here's the question, wow. uh, is it, has it always been like this, and I can just see more of it, or is the world getting uh, darker and darker? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> in 30 seconds or less. Yeah, 30, 30 seconds, seconds or less. Or less. Um, <laughs> Yes, the world has always been uh, been rebellious. You know, sin has reigned uh, throughout. We can go all the way back into Genesis and even see uh, the, the the situation of the flood, where where, where God uh, absolutely saved one family. You know, and, and did that. So we have seen evil in the world, and uh, but at the same time, I think that there is a uh, a sense that the uh, that the world does become more and more secular in a sense of looking uh, at two other places outside of God or in denial of God. And so I do think that's a growing thing. Um, but maybe it's cyclical. Maybe you can look at it because I think you can go back in history and see periods of time where, where that happens. And then there's revival and then God brings, brings, you know, there's a remnant of people and God brings us back together and you see revival and doing that stuff. And so that's one thing we should pray for is God to just revive us and to, and to do that, you know, our community and our, our country and our world. We should pray that God does that because I do sense that, uh, that people who are uh, living in rebellion to God, that, that, that's growing. It's becoming more common or, or easy to rebel against God, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Any other thoughts from you guys? I think that people would answer that differently depending on what part of the world they live in because I think sometimes we're very blinded by our own context. If you ask somebody in this country that question, they would have a, probably a very different answer than a, than a Christian in Muslim Middle East yes. country. Um, and so I think that we have to be aware of our context. Mm. That's very true. They would say, yeah, no, it's, it's bad. <laughs> yeah. I, I think there's no new sin. 
Nothing new it's, under the sun. It's being done over and over and over. Sometimes mm-hmm. we get a little bit more creative mm-hmm. uh, with it. I think what changes in a context is how broad that sin becomes or sins, how many people are engaging in it. And I think probably the other big difference that can change is the approval of sin. Uh, I think we look around America and we see, boy, we're really moving in this really bad direction. Probably not. I think if you go back to the 50s, we were very polite about our sin. (laughs) And we had ways of covering it. Uh, I, I don't know that there's a lot of new sin today. What there's a lot of new of is real acceptance. It's and, in your face. And total lack of shame. It's there's in your just face on TV, no shame of sin. internet. Those things yeah. make it right there. Yeah. And so. mm-hmm. I wasn't around in the 50s. <laughs> yeah, okay. Oh, okay, Jay. Well, guess Neither what? Was Neither I. was I. Neither was I. <laughs> play, play the I'm young card. You were closer than me. <laughs> you were around in the 50s. Wow. Uh, between these two young guys are going after us, aren't they? <laughs> hey, uh, here's another one actually from our Midlothian campus. Uh, Acts says one number went with Jacob to Egypt, but the Old Testament has another number, which is correct, which I think actually brings up a little bit of a broader conversation of what pre- seems to be some discrepancies in Scripture. So I want to toss that to you guys and kind of talk about that for a second. Randy, you want for to a second. that one? <laughs> <laughs> Acts says one number. In Old Testament, is that where, like, the 70? Uh, one says 72, the other says Yeah, there's 70. no reference given, but, yeah, I guess uh, with yeah, Jacob I to Yeah, I think Egypt. that's when, when Joseph goes back, gathers all the family, and says, hey, we've yeah. got a place mm, for mm-hmm. you. And I think in one place it says 70, the other says so 72. Okay. And I honestly do not have a very good answer for that right off the top of my oh. head. Oh, I've so studied it. Do you I have would, a, something current on that, James? I would just say that. The, the Bible talks the way that humans talk because it was written by inspired men. And so with that, um, we have to be phenomenal language, you know, the rising and the setting of the sun. That is not a, a scientific statement about, you know, the, the, the earth being a fixed point and the, the, the sun moving around us. That's just how people speak. And so when we walk into the Bible, we walk into it with the, the knowledge that it is an error and it is inspired, but it does talk the way people speak. And one of those aspects, one of the facets of that is that often the New Testament writers or writers throughout the Bible, they'll estimate. They'll, they'll throw out a number and they won't, they won't, they're not making a true statement about that number. They're, making a, they're using that number, for instance, to make a broader truth statement. Um, and so with that, they talk in estimates. They talk in, uh, in paraphrase. One, very often, you'll, you'll hit a phrase in the New Testament where they're quoting the Old Testament but it's not an exact quotation. It's a paraphrase, but it still gets the point across. And so I think that we have to understand that while the Bible is inspired by God, it is inerrant, it is infallible, that it still speaks the way humans speak. Um, and so we can't try to load all of our case for because people are going to use a statement like that to say, oh, the Bible has mistakes. Well, the Bible is, is true in all it affirms. Mm-hmm. And it's a source of truth, but it still speaks the way humans speak. So I think that we have to understand that when we hit issues like a rounded number. The interesting thing about that comment, and by the way, good response. Uh, When you take those things, the paraphrase, Mm -hmm. it says this number here and that number here. When you take all those things in Scripture, first of all, as big as this book is and as many years as it covers, it's surprising how few of those things they are. And none of them change anything about what we believe or teach. Right. None right. of them. I mean, again, it, 70 or 72, what does that 
change. Yeah. It, it doesn't right. change anything. Going to or and from so, Jericho. You know, I remembered, and, and I'm, I'm jumping. Can I jump out of yes, place real quick? Yes, absolutely. Because I don't, I don't know that this was texted in, but it was one of the questions written in earlier, and it talked about some of the differences in the Gospels. Mm-hmm. Why does it say this? You know, that's, that's the beauty of eyewitnesses, eyewitness accounts. One of them is telling you, oh, well, from over here, I saw this. Another witness from over there says, looking at it this way, I saw this. You also see what stands out to them. You know, one, one writer goes and says, you know what really stood out to me? Hey, the tomb was empty. Yeah. And, and then another witness says, man, it was. And did you see the angels? Okay, well, one gospel mentioning the, the two men and, and, and another gospel not mentioning doesn't mean there's a contradiction. It means the eyewitness that, man, I left there. This is what I was overwhelmed with. The tomb was empty. Mm-hmm. And, and so you, you get this very real dialogue, this real, very real interchange. And this kind of goes back to some of the inspiration of God's word. Folks, we don't go back and clean that up. Mm-hmm. We, we don't go back to, oh, we got to make the witnesses agree. N- nobody did that in the 2,000 years of the unfolding of Scripture. Nobody went back and said, we've got to make this number agree, and i got to make these eyewitnesses say all the exact same thing. I think some of the differences, because, folks, we could come in here right now. Uh, matter of fact, I love watching y'all quote me on Facebook after a sermon. <laughs> I'm serious. It's funny. One-third of the time, I will say... I never said anything like that. I don't even remember addressing that topic. But you know what? As you were sitting there dealing with the Lord and, and flipping through the word and you were listening to what I was said, something, something landed for you and you're pretty sure I said it. I didn't. You know, but that, hey, that, that's what some of the realness of humanity addressing that is. And, and again, none of those things actually change the meaning of anything. None of it. And one more factor, if I can throw it in, you have to take into account who they're writing to. Because depending on who, especially with the gospel writers, they have different audiences in mind, so they include different details. And for some teachings and some passages, that becomes very important. Matthew, writing almost purely to Jews. Luke, almost purely writing to Gentiles. And so they'll they'll focus on different aspects that they, they believe their audience will be pulled to, attracted to. Hey, uh, just to kind of, one more question to kind of get us uh, wrapped up here. Uh, sort of, we've been taking a lot of questions, we've been answering a lot of questions, and I guess the, my question is, what, what do you guys think uh, has sort of been the goal here, or what, what are we to take away, what is sort of the thing to walk away with this morning, because we've kind of been in a lot of different topics, so starting with James, kind of working this way, what do you think, uh, what do you think we could take away from this? There's, there's a lot of things. Um, for me... One of, the, one of the burdens that I have for my generation is they watch a r- lot of really bad stuff on TV about the Bible. Stuff that claims to be true that's just, just really weak in its argumentation. Um, and they're deceived by that. That, that is a, a lot of baggage that they bring with them when they try to interact with the Bible. And so a lot of the time, I think that we think when people pose objections to the Bible that they're just, you know, they're just hardening their heart, they're playing a game, and uh, they just don't want to submit their lives to the Lord, which that is there. Their heart has to be softened and they have to submit to the Lord. But I, I think that... For me, one of the burdens I have to know as much of the Bible as possible to be able to answer these questions is so that I can help people unload that baggage as they're trying to approach the Bible so that they can see uh, you know, the life, the death, resurrection of Christ um, with, with clear eyes, with, with clear vision, and be able to cling to those truths. Um, and so I think that that's one of the things that we have to, we have to keep in mind when we pursue a, an understanding of the Bible and one of the driving forces behind that for us. So hopefully... That'll, that'll be contagious. 
Psalm 119 says, Thy word is a, a light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet. And um, that's really important because it, it's really talking about the fact that the, that the word of God illuminates our path. It illuminates, uh, it, it is good for, for whatever it is that we're dealing with. Uh, you know, it, it was written over periods of, of thousands of years, but yet it is still relevant for today. And, uh, but the key thing is, just like a lamp, you know, a lamp doesn't work unless you turn it on. I can go in a room and there can be 10 lamps in there, but if I don't turn them on, it's still dark. And, and so, you know, I think the encouraging thing is when we're, when we're looking at questions and things like this is, man, if, if, if we get into the Word, and, and we make that a consistent part of our life. We make, you know, we, we feast on that. We make it a part of our diet, our daily diet, so to speak. Uh, it will illuminate our path. It will give us answers uh, for, for when we are, when we're stumped, when we're, when we're in trouble. God, God's word uh, will do that. So uh, that's, that's what I would take from it. Well, not very creative, but the same thing. <laughs> I, I, you know, as we deal with questions, what does God's word say? What does God's word say? What is God? Become a student of God's word. The, the, the answers uh, are there. Um, and, and I think sometimes we can't maybe find it immediately or quickly. Or, or sometimes it just takes a, a long time. Uh, Ronnie and I have been doing this for a long, long time. Longer than he's been alive. <laughs> That's right. And <laughs> Almost. <laughs> Uh, Hold on, twenty. Yeah, I've been doing Skip, it twenty-eight years, brother. Skipping down there, has, has just. Got, but you know what? I think sometimes you, you watch pastors and think, well, they went to school, or that's what they're paid to do. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, I can't deny that. But where do you start? Where do you start so that next year you have more knowledge than you had last year, and five years from now you have more knowledge? And it, and you know what I've. Man, there's things I've looked at, and then, and then I forget. Oh, gosh, i got to go look, look at that issue again. i got to go look at that subject again. And it's just kind of a, a constant process. But, but God's Word really does have answers. The only thing I think I would add one more thing to that is when you're searching for an answer, search for a topic, go beyond one verse. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you ever heard the phrase, you can use the Bible to prove anything? That's not actually true. Uh, you can use the Bible to do a lot of things that are wrong if you take one verse and you take it out of its context. And that's what we see a lot of. That's where, where yeah. cults get started. That's where a lot of things... How much time do we have? Uh, oh, can I yeah. do the, the polygamy thing real quick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we, when you're saying that, let me say this. Never use an unclear passage to interpret a clear one. You know, that's the thing you're saying. That's don't take something out of context, man. If it's unclear and you're wondering about it, don't use that as the stable or, 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 or you know, the root. Yeah. You know, use something that's very clear and, and, and work from there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another question we got, not today, but in, in the list of questions that came in is, you, you promote a traditional marriage, and yet I open up Scripture, and, man, the whole, whole bunch of the Old Testament has something mm-hmm. we would call not traditional marriage, Right. You see a whole bunch of polygamy in there. So how, how do you promote that when the Scripture is showing us that? Very good. Whether you're, there's a couple of things that are key to interpreting Scripture. Number one, context. Read the verse before it and after it. Read the whole chapter. Read all that's going on there. And, and then the, the, the second thing is asking, is the Bible describing something or is it prescribing something? There's a massive difference. Prescribing is a command. It's a principle. You are to live this way. You are to do this thing. The Bible sometimes, to our discomfort, does not clean up the warts of our Bible heroes. It, it show, shows them what they are. 
And you do see a lot of polygamy, uh, especially in David, David, Solomon. And folks, David and Solomon's families were a disaster. The amount of pain that the scripture unfolds for us in David's life is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And every bit of it goes back to his sexual appetite and, and the women that he accumulated uh, in harem, marriage, whatever you want to call it. The Bible is showing you that. It's not saying, hey, why don't you take a run at this yourself? You'll not find a single verse where it applauds, approves, or in any way shines a positive light on polygamy. It over and over, and and you just said, use the clear verse to look at maybe something. Now, what's going on there? Over and over and over, one man, one woman in marriage. New Testament, one man, one woman in marriage. And, And so it's very... So sometimes when you're looking at Acts is another book when we're interpreting Acts. Is it just describing what they did? Or is it actually telling us this is what every church should do? So Bible interpret, what's the context? Second thing, is it just describing what actually happened? I was reading in Judges this week, and Deborah caught that general and drove that stake peg through the dude's head. Wow. (laughs) Pretty cool. I didn't read that, though, as I should look for my opportunity this week. Kind of thinking about it with Andy over here, but I I didn't see that as, okay. So you know what, folks? The scripture just just simply tells us what was going on in some of these people's lives. You got to ask yourself, is it describing? Is it shining it in a positive light? Or is it showing the disaster that came out of that? And that's probably more time than you wanted me to take on that. Well, the floor is yours. (laughs) (laughs) Wrap it up. Wrap it up. Yeah, folks, we're a people of God's words, right? I'm actually appreciative of that question about about purgatory. Uh, I don't don't build theologies. I don't build things that, that I can't tie to what... God said. We're Southern Baptist in our church, but you don't hear that phrase a lot in our church, do you? You, you'll, you will rarely hear me saying, well, Southern Baptist belief. I want to tell you something. I'm a company man. I love Southern Baptist. I was president of our state convention for two years. I get involved in denominational stuff and all that. I don't preach Southern Baptist. I preach Christ and his word. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what we preach here. My goal, my goal is not for you to be a good Southern Baptist. My goal, every day we're up here and everything we're doing in a life group class, my goal for you is that you're a faithful, effective follower of Jesus Christ and we're defining what faithful and effective is with this book right here. Amen? Amen. And you know what, folks? Let's, uh, as we wrap this up, I would say this, and you hear me say this at the end of every day. I I can't rightly, I can academically open this book, but I can't rightly open it, rightly understand it, and then ultimately rightly apply it, because we don't go to this for an academic exercise. I can't rightly apply that without the Spirit of God living in me. Hmm. And the Spirit of God lives in me when I become a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. When I turn from sin, when I turn from self... And I become a follower of Jesus Christ. And I come under his blood. I come under his goodness, his grace, and love. And man, if you're here today, my challenge for you is not get smarter, study more. Not without the person of Christ. You can be really smart on the Bible and go straight to hell. 
You can be really smart on Israel geography and Israel history and spend eternity in hell. the, the, The beginning of all things is coming into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you don't have that, I, I, I don't want you to be impressed or unimpressed, maybe, with how we handle things up here today. Man, I'd want you to say, I want to know the Jesus they want to know. I want to go to the God who has answers for what we're dealing with in life. And when we conclude in a moment, there's an opportunity for you to do that. As we leave here right out in the center of our, our concourse and, and Buddy out there at Midlothian will share uh, out there in the, in the foyer at, at the theater uh, where they can go. But you can go out there and there's people waiting for you today to talk to you about how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and even better than learning alone, folks, is learning together. Proverbs says, iron sharpens iron. And the New Testament introduces us this concept of never It's never about how I follow Christ all by myself. It's about how we follow Christ together. And uh, man, if you're not involved, don't have a church family, I want to encourage you today. Man, get involved with the church family. Go out there to that, uh, that fresh start table in the center of our concourse or out in Midlothian, uh, out there to the foyer. There's a table. Say, hey, what's it mean to become a member here? How do I do that? What do I do? There's a group of folks that would love to talk with you about that. I want to remind all of our first-time guests, we have a, a gift for you at that same table. Hope you'll go out there and get that. And uh, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll stand up and we'll worship as we leave. Amen? Let's pray. What's that? Okay, stand up. <laughs> what do I do next? <laughs> Let's pray. Father God, it's, it's good to be in your presence today. It's good to enjoy you and your wisdom. And uh, Father, I pray that we are a people committed to understanding not what a pastor says, not, not what a denomination says, but God, we're a people committed to understanding what you say and what you've revealed, what you've delivered to us. And I pray I am as a pastor, we as pastors, we as a church, I pray that that's what we're communicating to our world. Not, not that this guy, that our, our group, we have the answers, but God, that we point people to your word. And Lord, I pray that as we leave here and head into our homes, our schools, we head into our businesses, that Lord, we're constantly looking for where we can step into a conversation and become more and more equipped at being a revealer of what your word says. We love you. And we're so glad today to gather in your presence. And just let the iron sharpen iron. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.